If you want to follow along, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're also going to read a, a section out of 2 Kings chapter 2. So just a few pages down uh, from 1 Kings 19. Now we have been over these last several weeks in a series called Gods and Kings. And we are really focusing on two prophets of God, Elijah and Elisha. So over the last several weeks, we've been really dialing into Elijah and uh, today, in and, and coming weeks, we're going to be focusing on Elisha. So now let me just kind of say this up front. Um, obviously, the names Elijah and Elisha are very similar. And there's a high degree chance that I'm going to get those guys mixed up. So, um, so just go ahead and cut me some slack now. And uh, I'm going to do my best to overpronounce their names so that you can follow along. But just know... I will probably uh, mess that up at least um, a thousand times. So anyway, um, now in just a minute, we're going to be, the story that we're going to look at today is really the story of God calling Elisha into the ministry. So God calls him to be a prophet of God. Uh, and back then that meant a, a full-time endeavor uh, for the living God. And so I realize as we kind of go into this message, as we unpack this story, I realize most of you are not called into full-time ministry. Okay, so I know that. Uh, I'm gonna be talking about the, the call of God in a very general sense that really lands on all of us as Christians, okay? And that call of God is a call to salvation. And that call of God is a call to give our lives away. It's a call to minister, to serve, to make a difference with our lives. And so as I describe to you the call of God, as I talk about how we respond to the call of God, I'm talking about that in this, in this general sense. And so really another way of thinking about the call of God is really the call of God on our lives is a call to follow God's plan for us and not our plan. That's really what we're talking about today, is really just following God's plan for our life, regardless of your vocation, uh, and, and, and not following your plan. And the reason why is because God's plan is exponentially greater than our plan. You know, God's plan is infinitely better than any plan we could come up with, than any plan the world could offer to us. You know, God's plan for our life is, is comprehensively more satisfying than anything the world could offer us. And so we need, to, we need to talk about that today. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on Elisha. Elisha is very, he's a, he's a very well-to-do person. He's very wealthy, as we're gonna see in just a moment. And he is a mover and shaker in his community. And um, he's, he, is, he is wealthy. He's just got, he's just living, in, he's just living the good life. You know, he's got his best life going right now. And uh, what he does is he lays all of it down to follow the will of God in his life. And uh, it, is, it is a beautiful story. Now, let me, let me just say this. If you're, you know, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is really a great story for you to, for you to know and for you to hear about. Because really what we're going to get is a clear picture of what it means to really follow God. We're going to get a clear picture of that. That the call of God in our life is a call to live an abundant life. But it's also a call to come and die. It's a call to lay down your life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And in the midst of that, there's abundant life. And so if you're, not, if you're just kind of checking Christianity out and you're just kind of assessing what this is, this is a good, this is a good message for you to be a part of. Now, if you're here today and you're a Christian, this story is a great reminder for you because although you only get saved once, the decision to follow Jesus has to happen every single day. In fact, multiple times every single day. That's a decision we have to constantly make as we are tempted by the enemy and the world and the flesh. Uh, we have to make that decision every single day. Now, you know, it's interesting when you kind of think about what, what motivates us to come to Christ. When you think about maybe the reason why you became a Christian, why you committed your life to Christ, um, there are a lot of different reasons behind that when a person makes that decision. And, and the reality is, is when most of us, when we accepted Christ, we really didn't understand 
that following Jesus meant we had to, we, you know, that we had to lay down our life, you know, that, that it was a call to come and die. We, we really didn't have that in mind. And I think for most of us, the reason why we became a Christian is because we realized something was missing in our lives. You know, we were, we were feeling guilty and we needed forgiveness. Or we were feeling anxious and we needed peace. Or we, you know, have a bunch of young kids at home and we needed stability. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, or, or maybe you were just facing the future with uncertainty and you needed some assurance. And I think most of us make that commitment to become a Christian because we're looking for something to fill a void that we have in our life. And all of those things are great reasons why, you know, you could, you could come to God and commit your life to Christ. But if we're not careful, what happens is God, we begin to see God as kind of an add-on to our lives. He, he's kind of a, if we're not careful, he becomes a means to an end. He, he becomes like a magic genie inside this lamp that we rub and he gives us one wish and, you know, whatever we ask for, he gives to us. And so we rub the lamp really hard, which is us trying to be good people. We try to go to church. We try to do good things in the community. We try to read our Bible and pray every now and then in the hope that God will see our effort and then give us something good. You know, maybe like a spouse or a promotion at work or help us get into the college that we're trying to get into, you know, and that's kind of how we approach it. Uh, God is kind of like our, our, our little genie and we, we hope that he'll do uh, what we want him to do. And see, that could really reveal something deeper. And that is that we really, we're really not after God, we're just after the gifts of God. You know, that we don't really want the blesser, we just want the blessings. And, uh, you know, that's a real thing. And, uh, you know, you all know we, we come into this world me-centered. I mean, when we're born into this world, it's me, me, and me. And it takes a while to work that out because we go into the elementary school and that's affirmed and we go to middle school and high school and that me-centeredness is affirmed. And, uh, and then we get married and then we start running into problems with that me-centeredness. And... Uh, and then God blesses us with children and then we really run into problems with that me-centeredness and we start realizing it's really, really not about us anymore. And so that selfishness, that me-centeredness is really getting challenged. And, and, so, and so invariably what happens, we, we come to faith in Christ and we're still trying to follow God, but we're at the center. You, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean by that? Like we're still first. And uh, God is second, third, or fourth. And, and uh, what, he wants us to, what he wants to do is he wants us to grow to a place of spiritual maturity where we, we're really not just coming to God to get things from him, which he's delighted to give those things. But we come to God to get himself. We, we come to God to get God himself. That really is his plan for you, by the way. That when you think about that, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Do you know what that plan is? That plan is for you to have Jesus Christ. Because, because if he has all of you, you'll have all of him. And that is all that you need. And uh, I think... What's happening with Elisha here is he goes all in. He goes all in for God as he answers the call. So, so that's the setup this morning. And uh, we're gonna read a few verses from 1 Kings 19, and then we're gonna jump to 2 Kings chapter two. So I'm gonna ask if you are willing and able, would you please stand just out of reverence for the reading of God's word today. Really interesting story here. So verse 19, the writer of Kings says this. So he departed from there. This is Elijah. Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yokes of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him 
and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen, sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. And then in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 7. 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And as they both were standing, as they, as they both were standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taking from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked and behold chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and cried my father my father the chariots of Israel and its horsemen and he saw him no more and then he took his he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the other side, to one side and to the other. And Elijah went over. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So what we see in this really interesting story is Elisha answers the call of God uh, to go into the ministry. He he really responds to God's plan for his life and he goes all in. He he burns the plow and he roasts the cow and uh, he asks for the power of God right now. That's that's basically what what he does. And um, really the question is for us, how are you gonna respond? to the call of God on your life? Will you respond as Elisha responded? Now, let me just show you, uh, I want us to kind of walk through this, but I I wanna start at verse 16 in 1 Kings 19. We didn't read that, but I just wanna kind of revisit it uh, for us just as a reminder, as a kind of a setup for this. This is God calling Elijah to anoint Elisha as his successor. And you see it in verse 16, And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Now, the reason why I wanted to show that to you is this, because I want you to see that that the call on Elisha's life was a call from God and not Elijah. In other words, the idea to anoint Elisha was not Elijah's idea. It was God's idea. It was the call of God on his life. And so God has called Elisha to be a disciple and to be in the ministry. And it's the exact same call for you and for me. The exact same call for you and for me. I I think for a lot of us, as we kind of think about this, I think a lot of us, you you know, what we want to do is we try to be Christians, but we really don't want to be disciples. We, we want to be Christians, but we don't want to be in ministry. We don't want to serve. And what I'm here to tell you is God's called you to be a disciple and to be in ministry. There's no category in scripture for being a Christian and not being a disciple. There's, that does not exist, church. That, that category does not exist. There's no category for someone who professes to be a Christian and yet doesn't serve in ministry. 
They don't see their life as a ministry to others. There's no category for that. The truth of what we see in scripture is God has called all of us to follow Jesus and to be in ministry for him. It is God's idea. It originated with him. Now let's pick up in verse 19 and let me just kind of walk through, walk, walk all the way through uh, this with you because there's just a lot of interesting uh, details here that I want to I want to just kind of show you. Look at verse 19. So so Elijah departs, and he finds Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. And then it says Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Now the question is why is that detail in the story? Because you're thinking why are they you know, why are they telling us about his 12 yoke of oxen? Well, it's interesting because really what the, the writer of Kings is telling us to do is Elisha is very wealthy because he's got 12 teams of oxen. Now, back in that day, the average middle-class family, there wasn't a big middle-class back then, but um, the average middle-class family would own one ox. Elisha has 24 of them. He's doing all right. That's That's what... That is what the writer of Kings wants us to see. He is, he is really doing all right. Not only that, but another indication of his wealth is that the writer tells us that Elisha was working the 12th team of oxen. So that means he had servants on the other, on the other 11 pairs that were working. So he's got a pretty sizable uh, operation. He's got this you know, this farming operation going on called Elisha Farms Incorporated. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going really well. And he's done this for a number of years. And I, and I think we have to kind of ask the question at this point, do you think Elisha ever stopped to ask the question, Isn't there, is there more to life than just this? I mean, all I do is we plant the crops, we raise the crops, we harvest the crops, we sell the crops, and then we start all over. And we do it with, you know, we do it with cattle and we do it with sheep and everything, you know, and, and, and this is just the daily grind. You know what I'm saying? We just, you know, plant the harvest, grow it up, harvest it, sell it, and then we start all over again next season. Isn't there more to life than just that in doing it over and over again? And I think he's probably asked that question. I think if we could get up close and personal with Elisha, I think he's probably got a gnawing sense of there's something more for him. There's something more than just, just this. And I just, I wonder for all of you, do you ever stop and ask the question, is there more to life than just the American dream? Isn't there more to life than that? You know, what's the American dream? It's, you know, you graduate from school and you you know, you meet someone, you get married, you get a job, and then you get a house, and then, um, you know, kids come down the line, you know, and then you get two dogs, a cat, and a hamster, you know what I mean? And, and then you just do it over and over and over and again until you retire, and then you die, and then your kids take your place, and you ever wondered, is there more life than that? I mean, is that all there is? I think there is. Now, what we also learn in this is that Elijah's walking by and he sees Elisha in the field plowing and he walks, he walks by Elisha without, apparently without saying a word and just puts his cloak over, over top of him. Now, admittedly, this is a little weird. I mean, I tried this at the mall the other day and I got arrested. So, um, so I don't recommend that, but this is a little, this is a little weird. So, so in reality, what's happening here is your cloak was really a symbol of your vocation. It's a symbol of your authority. And that's why we're given the detail of John the Baptist wearing camel hair, because it really set him apart in his prophetic ministry. And so really what's happening here is the authority of of this ministry of prophet unto God is being transferred now to, to the person of Elisha. And, uh, and so that's what's happening here. This is, a, this is a really the, the physical representation of the call of God landing on Elisha. Now, here's where we really begin to notice the character of the call of God on all of our lives. 
Because as we think about the character, the general call of God and the character of that general call, it is a call from being me-centered to being God-centered. It's a call from, from really just leaving a life of comfort and ease to embracing a life of service and sacrifice. That's the character of the call. And so this taking on of this cloak is going to mark a major change in Elisha's life. Because if you think about his predecessor, Elijah, what was it that characterized his life? He was a wanted man. He lived on the run. He lived in caves. His needs were taken care of by a poverty-stricken widow in Zarephath. And he had to deliver some very difficult and hard messages. So this is not, you know, this is not beer and Skittles, you know, given out to somebody answering the call of God. And yet what we see is Elisha taking on this joyfully, receiving this new life as it's a completely about to change. Let me show it to you in verse 20. And so he left the oxen. And this is Elisha, left the oxen, and then he ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And basically what he's doing is he's just saying, I need to say goodbye to my parents, because I'm going to leave them probably in the care of my siblings. And, and so Elijah responded, and he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? Which is really just a Hebrew figure of speech of basically saying, that's, that's a great idea, you know, go do you know, go do what you need to do. And then we see this in verse 21, where the writer tells us, and he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and he sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and, and assisted him. So, so, really, so really what he does is he takes those 24 oxen and uh, basically takes the plowing equipment and uh, he uh, burns the plow and he roasts the cow. And uh, basically what he's doing is he's saying goodbye to his old way of life. I mean, he's, he is effectively resigning as CEO of Elisha Farms Incorporated. And he's saying, I'm not going back ever. I'm not turning back. And so Elisha is embracing this call joyfully and gladly. Like he's, let's do this thing. And it tells us that, uh, that he arose and he went after Elijah and assisted him. He became Elijah's assistant for what we're going to see 18 years before Elijah is taken, taken up into heaven. So, so that's an interesting dialogue. So what I see in this is I see really Elisha's response to the call of God on his life. He responds in three very specific ways. And this is, this is our call to respond in the same way. Number one, he surrendered to God. Number one, he surrendered to God. Number two, he abandoned the world. And number three, he started walking in the spirit. Now, let me just show you these. Let me show you number one. Let's just jump in right there. He surrendered to God. The call of God on us, church, is to live a life surrendered to God. To live our lives with an open heart. To live our lives with an open hand. To live our lives as living sacrifices to our great God. That is really the call of God on all of us. That's going to work itself out in a lot of different ways, but the character of it is always the same. My life doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to God. And when you think about what surrender really means, it has a negative connotation. It means, you know, we, have, we view that word surrender as, well, I'm losing something. I'm now being defeated. But it really, in the kingdom of God, it is not that connotation at all. It is really a connotation of victory. It is really the connotation of, I become the possession of another. I, I, I yield myself to the possession and to the power of another person. 
And that's exactly what we see Elisha doing is he, he is yielding himself completely to God's possession and to God's control and to God's power over his life wholeheartedly. And the way that you see this work itself out is he burns the plow and he roasts the cow. That's what he's doing. And, and so in, 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 in burning the plow and in roasting these, these cow, basically, um, what he's doing is he's saying, I, I'm, my old life, my old way of life is now dead. There is no plan B. I'm not going back. There, there, I'm, I'm, I'm like the Spanish explorer Cortez. I'm burning the ships. Because going back to my old life is not an option anymore. That's what he's saying. And so surrender is, is, is really saying no to this old life of me-centeredness and embracing a whole new life of God-centeredness. And so when Elisha burns this plow and he, and he roasts the cow, he's basically saying, I'm, I'm saying no to the comfort and the security and the predictability of Elisha Farms Incorporated. And what I'm doing is, is I, I'm, endangering, I'm, I'm embracing the danger and the poverty and really the joy of walking in a close relationship with God. Now, how do we know that? Well, because I will tell you, uh, he joyfully sacrifices these 24 oxen. These 24 oxen are his retirement account. This is his 401k. When you think about it, he has worked his entire life and God has blessed him and he just lit it up in flames. Just lit it up. And not only that, but, but he... I mean, you think about this is his security, this is his identity, this is his accomplishment, this is his provision and probably his position in the village. And he just lit a match to it so that he could go all in with God. I just think it's a beautiful thing. And then they take the meat from the barbecue and he throws a party, a feast for the entire village, uh, which, is, which is pretty incredible. And... Um, you know, one of, these, one of these oxen would have fed a family of five for a year and a half. And he just barbecued 24 of them. So they're having a good old time. And you would think that they're probably asking him the question, Elisha, what, why are you doing this? Like, what's the occasion? And you know what he told him? I, I don't know if he told him like hundreds of times or he just stood up in front of the whole crowd and just... Let me tell you why I'm doing this. I don't know. But it was probably something along the lines of, I'm so excited because I'm going all in in my relationship with God. I'm going all in. I'm not holding back. I'm going all in. And this is, this is the line in the sand. And I just want you to celebrate with me. And, uh, you know, and it probably worked itself out like I'm going in the ministry for God. I, I kind of liken it to, you ever been into a graduation open house? Of course you have. You're from Indiana, right? So uh, we've all done that. So, and you ask the high school graduate, what are your plans? What are your plans after high school? You know, are you going to go to college? You're going to go to trade school? You're going to just start work right now? What, what, what is it you're going to do? And their face, a lot of times, will light up and, uh, and with excitement about their future plans. And I think, I think that's a little bit of the picture that we get here with Elisha. I think he's so excited because I think he's finally found it. You know, he's finally found what he's looking for. He's answered the call of God on his life. You know, this week I was reading uh, the results of a survey that was done by the University of Wisconsin at Madison, and they surveyed young people. I'm, I'm not sure how many they surveyed, but they surveyed young people from 18 to 24 in that age range, and they, they asked them, do you know your purpose in life? And 70% of them said they had no idea. They had no idea how to answer that question. Now, I understand, you know, that age group, sometimes they don't know what they want to do. And, the, you know, I get that. I've got two kids of my own, you know, so, so I understand that. But at the very least, what we know from Scripture is that our purpose in life is to know and to walk with God. That our purpose in life is to spend it for something that's going to outlast it, right? To spend our life serving and making a difference in the lives of others. That's God's plan for your life, regardless of how you make money. That's why you were put here, very simply to bring glory to God by how you live your life, that you would live your life in such a way that people see you and they glorify your Father in heaven because of how much of Him they see 
in you. And so Elisha's life is really changed in one day by the drop of one cloak on his back, completely changed. I mean, he, he, he's no longer CEO. He's now the ministry assistant to Elijah. So he, church, I mean, think about this. He goes from calling the shots to making the copies and getting the coffee for Elijah. That's, that's, that's what he's doing. I mean, he's basically Elijah's intern. He's just embracing the role of a servant. He's just taking on the mantle of a servant. And he's okay with that. He's emptied himself of his wealth. He's emptied himself of his position, his, his power, you know, his, all, his identity. And his, now his new identity is putting a towel over his arm and serving Elijah and serving the nation so that they will, they will return to the worship of the true God. I think it's just an incredible thing. So let's think about us. You know, uh, if we're not careful, I, I think it could be easy for us to start thinking in terms of being religious consumers rather than Christ followers. We live in such a consumeristic society today. America's all about consumerism. And sometimes the world can squeeze us into its mold and, and we can walk through the doors of the church thinking, well, I've paid my membership dues. I, I've, I've given my offering and my tithe. Now I get religious goods and services back to me. And we view the church through the lens of consumerism. And we want, you know, my needs met and my family's needs met and we want to do it on my timetable and my way and according to my preferences and my style. And, and, and sometimes what we're falling into is a religious churchianity rather than a Christ-centered Christianity. And at some point, we've got to transition from being me-centered to living God-centered. At some point, we have to walk in the door and, and put off our old way of life of saying, this is all about me, to embracing the call of God to say, not what I can receive, but I'm here, what can I give? How can I be a blessing to other people? And I think that's the call of discipleship. And I think that's the character that God is working in his church, the body of Christ. And I'm just wondering if you've answered that call. I'm just wondering if you're willing to move on from the milk to the maturity of the word, the maturity of a life where you embrace the call to come and die so that you can have victory and have abundant life. You know, uh, there's a great passage where Jesus talks about this in Mark 8, 34. I just, I wanna show it to you. It's, it's just so simple. And again, I don't want you to take my word for it. I, ju I just wanna show you what Jesus says. So here we go. And this is what Mark tells us. And calling the crowd to him, with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. There it is. It's really that simple. Three things Jesus says, if you wanna follow me, let him deny himself. And really what, that, what he's talking about there is just laying down your dreams and your preferences and your desires and your wants and you take up the dreams and the preferences and the desires of Jesus who you're following. You deny yourself. And then he says, take up your cross. When you think about the cross, who do you think of? You think of Jesus. So what the cross does is it identifies with Jesus. So Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up the main identifier to me, which is the cross, and start, and start identifying with me. And so what that means is that, that, that Christ has total claim on your life. You know, that, that, that you're called to take up his agenda, which is the cross. And then lastly, Jesus says, and follow me, which means actively pursuing Jesus. This is the Christian life. This is what it means to be a Christian. There's no other category for not doing this except 
non-believer. That's just it. Now, I want to show you one, I want to show you this verse again because this is the most important piece of Mark 8:34. Let me let me show it to you one more time because there's one thing we didn't really cover in this. Notice what he says in verse 34 and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. So so this is not for the call to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus is not just for a select few. It's not just for you know, the spiritual elite among us. It's not just for the disciples. It's not, it's not that at all. It's, it's for all of us. That's the invitation because he called the crowd to himself and said, with the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You see, it's for all of us. The call to surrender is for all of us. I, I heard Pastor J.D. Greer share this story uh, about a missionary preacher who was preaching in this church. And the missionary preacher was, was calling people to surrender their lives and uh, go on to the mission field. And uh, when the preacher was done preaching, he gave this invitation for people to come forward and pray pray at the altar like they used to do uh, years ago. And, and, uh, and nobody came to the altar except a, an eight-year-old little girl. She got out of her seat. She came forward. She knelt all by herself and uh, spent a few minutes praying. And then she went back to her seat. And her dad leaned over and said, said Honey, did, did God call you to be a missionary? And, um, and she said, No, Daddy, he didn't, he didn't call me to be a missionary. And he said, Well, why did you go forward? And uh, she said, Well, I just wanted to go ahead and tell him yes so that when he asks, I will have already given him my answer. See, that's surrender. That's what it means. It's just, God, whatever. Whatever you want me to do to be my greatest joy. See, that's surrender. And I just, have wonder, I just wonder if you've already told him yes. Or are you wrestling with that? Because when you think about it, God wants to use you this year at school. God wants to use you where you work. God, God wants to use you in your mom's playgroup. You know, God wants to use you where you work in your business. He, but you've not told him yes. You've, you've not told him yes. And so surrender means to say yes. Number two, we see Elisha abandoning the world. That's what we see. That's what we see Elisha doing is he's abandoning the world. He not only just surrenders to the call of God on his life, but he, he abandons the world. You see this again in verse 20. He says, and he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and he said, let me kiss my father and mother and then, and then I will follow you. And uh, I love this because really what, what Elisha is doing here is he's not hesitating in the call of God. Because you remember in the Gospels, Jesus made a call of discipleship to this big group. And some of them started making excuses saying, well, you know, I need to go back to my parents and do this and do that and do this. They were just him hawing around a little bit. They were just hesitating because they didn't really want to say yes. Elisha's a little bit different because this going back to say goodbye to his parents was him saying yes and embracing the call of God. It was his way of communicating really the radical break that he was making with his old way of life. He was, he was basically saying, I'm leaving. I love you. You're in good hands. I'm, I'm going to be following God's plan for me. It's very similar to Jesus, you know, near the Sea of Galilee calling Peter and Andrew, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And what does the gospel tell us? They left everything and they followed him. That's what it's like. And so really the call of God for all of us is to leave the world behind. This world is not our home. This world is not ours. We're just ambassadors here. We're just representatives of another kingdom. And, and, so, and so we are called to be in the world, but not to be of the world. I, I love, I love a, a family in our church, Steve and Rebecca Corcoran, I remember two years ago when they invited Luann and I over to their house for dinner. Uh, the purpose of, you know, having us over for dinner is they wanted to share. I got, I got had called them 
to go onto the mission field full time. Like to go to a Muslim country and, meet, and reach Muslims for Christ. And we listened, you know, for you know, a long time as they just unpacked how God orchestrated and worked and spoke to them. And we were just blown away. And you know, what was interesting, they were more blown away. They were, they were just ecstatic over this. And so I just remember the process that they've, been, that they've had to go through over the last year where Steve had to you know, quit his job. They, he, they had to sell their house. They had to raise the money. They had to raise the money in advance. They had to get trained. And then they had to say goodbye to their families. They had to go back and kiss their families and say goodbye to them. But you know, it was a joy to do it. It was a delight because they had already given God their yes. They had already gone all in. And they were just like, whatever God, whatever you want, we're willing to do. That's what it means to abandon the world. And then lastly, what we see Elisha doing here is walking in the spirit. We're gonna see this over the coming weeks. Let me show you, show you this. Turn over to 2 Kings. Now we're gonna, we're really gonna, we're gonna fast forward here about 18 years. And uh, in 2 Kings chapter two, this is real interesting. And uh, I wish I had more time to kind of walk through this, but let me, let me just kind of give you a, a quick fly through. And we're gonna pick up in 1 Kings chapter two, verse eight. And this is, this is Elisha really receiving the spirit and walking in the spirit. Now, let me show you what I mean by this. And so then Elijah took his cloak and he rolled it up and he struck the water. This is verse eight. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. So this is very similar to the Exodus from Egypt. So Elisha and Elijah will have a ministry in the character of Moses, leading the people through the wilderness of sin and idolatry. They're trying to lead them out, uh, basically. So it's, it has allusions to the Exodus here. Verse nine, and when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. So Elijah knows his time is up. And notice what Elisha asks. Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now, this is really an interesting request that he makes because, because what he's really saying here is this. He's, he's really asking to be Elijah's firstborn son. That's what he's asking here. I wanna be like your firstborn son because according to Old Testament law, the, the firstborn son in a family got the double portion of the inheritance. Now, what I mean by that is when a father, let's say he had 10 sons, and when a father passed away, they divided his estate into 10, 10, uh, 10 sections. And the firstborn son got two of, those, two of those sections, if you will. And so he's really saying to Elijah, I want to be like your spiritual son. And I want the double portion of your spirit on me. He's not asking, I want to, I want to have your temperament. I, I want to have your personality. You know, I want to have all the gifts that you have. What he's asking for is this, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that is on your life. I would like a double portion of that. Because Elisha understands what he's, you know, what he needs to do this ministry and to take the lead in this ministry. He needs the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit was not poured out until Acts you know, chapter two, but you see throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit moving among the prophets of God in that day. And so, and so that's really what Elisha is asking for. Now, let me show you Elijah's response to this. And you see this in verse 10. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Basically what he's saying is, this is really not in my control to give you. This comes from God. So he acknowledges that. He says, yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. If you see me with your eyes going up into heaven, then you'll know that your prayer is gonna be answered. But if you don't see me, it shall not be so, in other words. Now look at verse 11. 
this is the best way to go to heaven right here, right? Let me just show this to you. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Wouldn't that be fun? That would really be I'm like, can I get a fast pass to that? That would be so amazing. Um, verse 12, and Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father. So you see the prayers being answered because he sees Elijah being taken up and he cries out to him, my father, my father. He is, he's like a spiritual father to him. And then the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, he cries out and it says, and he saw him no more. And so what we see from that is Elisha received what he asked for. He received the double portion of the Holy Spirit on his life. And I, I think it's because he surrendered and he abandoned and he did everything that God wanted him to do. Now, how do we receive the Holy Spirit in the same way? I think that's kind of the question. How, how do we receive it like Elijah and Elisha? Well, the good news is, first of all, if you're a Christian, you already have the Holy Spirit inside of you because that's what it means to be born again. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of your heart and you have been regenerated and, and really uh, filled with God's Spirit. So as a Christian, you already have the Holy Spirit. But secondly, as followers of Jesus... We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to pursue the Spirit. And let me show you what I mean. This is Galatians 5. And so Paul the Apostle says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, so he's understanding that we have these fleshly sinful desires that pull us one way. And what he's saying is, listen, don't live by that. Live by the Spirit. And then in verse 25 on down, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit? I'll tell you what it means. It just means full surrender. It just means, God, I'm yours. I'm consecrated to you. And I take my hands off and I yield to your control, I yield to your reign. And what happens when we say that is the Holy Spirit fills us again and again and is free to work through us in ways we've never even seen before. And what the Spirit does is he empowers us to obey, he, he gives us boldness to share, he gives us power in our prayer life, he gives us fruit in our character and he gives us joy in the serving. And so when we surrender to God, the Holy Spirit is released within us and he's, he's uninhibited by us and he starts working and he starts moving and he starts doing some great things. And so you, know, you remember when Jesus says uh, basically greater works than I have done you shall do. You guys remember when he said that? Like, how in the world is that true? I mean, Jesus raised the dead. How are we going to do greater works than that? Well, here's the thing, and here's the gospel. The gospel is this. You haven't been offered Elijah's cloak. You've been offered the cloak of Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit. That's what you've been offered and so we can do greater works than Jesus because what Jesus means by that is we're going to do greater works in number than he did because we're all filled with his spirit. So that means we're going to go to places where he didn't go in his 33 years and we're going to minister to families that he didn't minister to in his 33 years. We're going to, we're going to carry the work of God and the call of God everywhere we go because of the spirit of God living and active in us. Let me close with this. I didn't count this up, but um, one commentary said that if you count the number of miracles that Elijah did that we have recorded in scripture, they number 14. If you count the number Elisha did in scripture, they number 28. You see the double portion that God answers. God did miracle after miracle in the life of Elisha. And here's the good news, he wants to do it in you. But you have to say yes.
You have to surrender. You have to abandon the world. And you have to walk in the Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the call of Elisha. And we thank you for the call that you placed on our lives. It's a call to embrace abundant life, new life. To leave the old behind. And to walk in the newness of life. Your word says you are doing a new thing. And so, God, we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. So our prayer today is we just say yes to you. We just want to go ahead and tell you yes. So even before you ask, you'll already know the answer. And so, Father, I thank you that even though I, I, I may not know what this practically looks like in, in all of our different lives, but I thank you that you know. And I pray that where there's fear, you would give faith. And I pray where there's hesitation, that you would just give trust. And so God, I pray that we would just take our hands off and live surrendered to you. That you would use us as living sacrifices, that we would be holy and pleasing to you, that we would be an encouragement and a blessing to others. So God, would you do that work among us? Would you, would you soften us to the things of the Spirit? Would you give us a double portion? That you would put the cloak of the Holy Spirit around us and send us in to be your ambassadors, to be to be your servants. We just give you praise. We give you glory today. And we thank you in advance for what you're doing. And all of God's people said, amen.